I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Oh man, we had a great time the other night at the Ace Hotel with Anna Kasparian. We did Rebel Radio Live. Thanks to everybody who showed up and everybody who caught us live streaming on Beat Fever. Uh, it was a really good time. I don't know what to tell you. Listen to the episode. You'll hear the crowd going wild and... Um, and all that, and I hope you'll join us at the next one. We have Rebel Radio Live at the L.A. Times Festival of Books News Story. It's Sunday, April 14th in Los Angeles on the USC campus. My guest on stage will be Z Trip. It's going to be a great interview. I've been trying to interview this dude for uh, pretty much four years since I started the show, and I'm so glad that we're finally doing it. Check out uh, events.latimes.com and get your tickets now. What up? This is Chase Infinite. You're listening to Rebel Radio, and thank you for listening. Fuck you, Josh. Yeah. What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up? What up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh -huh. Rebel Radio is going down. Would you say Rebel Radio? Oh wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. What's up, Rebels? Welcome back to Rebel Radio, the weekly show where I talk to the Rebels who are shaping youth culture. We find out how they do it, why they do it, and what you can do to get a little piece of the pie for yourself. We're also the only show to bring you new music every week from our friends over at EDM.com. My name is Josh Levine. I'm your host, and my guest in studio with me today is the one and only Chase Infinite. Chase is a multi-talented, multifaceted player in, uh, in music and culture and, and now coffee. Uh, he was a rapper with the group Self Scientific. He's been a manager for many years, working with ASAP Rocky and ASAP Mob. Uh, he's been involved with fashion brands, and his latest project is Haroon Coffee in Lamert Park. And he's got some great stories to tell about uh, his travels through the music industry, starting as a young man. Um, I love his approach. He got into the industry side because he wanted to learn the business to benefit his artist career. And, uh, and he talks about some of the twists and turns 
that his career and life has taken him, some great lessons about being adaptable and at the same time never giving up. Coming up on Rebel Radio after the EDM.com track of the week. man i don't really give a fuck how they feel about it we do this shit for real every single day every single night we in there we on it grinding hustling getting it and if you can't wrap your head around that mentality i can't fuck with you it's born our music and sloth syndrome we burn this shit down Let's get it. Try to tell a nigga I'm the wrong nigga you should fuck with today. Walk into the club and all the bottle bitches start to whisper hooray. See me in the kitchen, cook it up, watch it rise like a souffle. When I'm out in Paris, all these chickens want to ask me who Yo, that was Born Eye Music and Sloth Syndrome with Hooray, the EDM.com track of the week. If you like that one, get over to EDM.com, check out more new music. And let's get into the interview with Chase Infinite. Thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate you Absolutely. making time. It's, uh, you know, I've followed your career forever mm-hmm. and seen some of the twists and turns. And, you know, you always, you know, I love having people on the show that are um, not just one thing. They're, they're entrepreneurs and artists and you're like the embodiment of that. You're kind of right before it was actually man. before it was actually celebrated. I mean, right. I got a lot of flack for that, but yeah, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah, not um, flack, but you know, confusion maybe. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, I love, and you know, I want to get into it, but you know, I love that you've been an artist. You've been on the business side. Yeah. Um, you know, now you have a new venture with Haroon Coffee. Yes, sir. Am I saying it right? Yes, sir. Okay. You are Haroon Coffee. Okay. <laughs> um, which I know is is not only a business, but there's a there's a community and a and a mission to it. For sure. Um, I mean, it's all the things that that we celebrate. For sure. So um, it's all the shit that hip hop actually is. Right. Without without the elements that try to sell it. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. For sure. Yeah, yeah. So you're living it. <laughs> Um, so so let's get into all that. I want to start at the beginning, though. Yeah. Do you remember the first record you ever bought? The first record I ever bought, purchased with my own money. Yeah. Uh, it may have been Run DMC, um, the 12 inch that had 30 days on the B side. Uh-huh. What was on the A side of that? Now wake me up in 30 days. <laughs> The only run is in 12 inch. The, whatever 12 inch had 30 yeah, yeah. days okay. on there at 12 inch, and, and it, it's the same day. And this might have been from a record trader, I think, you know, because I was born at Daniel Freeman Hospital in Inglewood, but my parents moved to the valley. And mm-hmm. I think we was maybe living in either Panorama City or Reseda at the time, and I bought this shit from record trader. Yeah. And it was um, 30 days. And it was some Connecticut, like some breakdancing twins. I forget their fucking name. Like one of them obscure 12 inches that happened to make it to like, uh-huh. I forget the name. But, but I was already in the... Um, but you already... I, I bought three. I was already in the hip hop. Yeah. You know, I had already, you know, began to like really love hip hop. Mm-hmm. So I think it might have been T. The Rock and Mantronics. Okay. Like the, you know, 
Shit like that. Taylor yeah. Rockman, Tronics, Run DMC, and this obscure breakdancing. I always remember them because I don't remember their name, but I remember the cover. Sure. Um, there was a lot of those. Yeah. yeah. yeah shit like that. That's kind of what it was. Before people were actually promoted, it was just about discovery. Like, I remember mm-hmm. we, we used to buy records and shit, and you didn't even know somebody was popular until... You didn't know whether or not they were popular until you heard somebody else talk about it. It was like, wait, right. what, yo, what? Did you say Run DMC? Like, yeah. I'm like, oh, shit, you know about this shit, too? Maybe not Run DMC because yeah. they were so big, but... Everybody else. It was yeah, like a sure. process of discovery, and that's how people kind of, that's how you formed, like, I guess, the archetypes or what type of motherfucker you was in hip hop. According to who you gravitated towards. So I think that's the, probably the first record. If I can remember correctly, it's some of the first records I bought, but I was always buying records. Yeah. Always buying really tapes, maxi singles. Sure, of course. Shit like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's funny, you know, you had to go, you had to go seek it out. Yeah, and, oh, for sure. And, you know, like you said, especially especially with hip-hop because it wasn't on the radio. They didn't even know, you know how to categorize it in the record stores. Right. That shit used to be, I remember it was like rock, pop, and soul. Uh-huh. And like yeah, you yeah. saying, they, they used to have like hip-hop strangely categorized somewhere in the soul right. and pop. But like, you know what I mean? It was sure. like, I mean, the warehouse was the first retail <clears throat> company, probably the warehouse and tower to really start to develop like their own sections for the warehouse. Father Brown led yeah. that a lot. Yeah, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, really sectioning that shit out. But, but before then, like, it was just like, you really had to find this shit. Like, Dougie Fresh was in the R&B shit somewhere. <laughs> like, it wasn't no hip-hop section. They, I mean, they didn't know, <coughs> you know, they didn't know what to make of it. I remember, I got, it must have been 90. They didn't know what to make of it. And then, music, musically, hip-hop borrows from every genre. Right. So it has no particular point of origin so then you're in the middle of like a um like a synthetic overhaul right Right. r&b and all that shit was going synthesizers all this shit was like really becoming a thing yeah um and i remember that when that was a problem you know groups like climax atlantic star and shit like that doing real synthesized r&b like traditional r&b singers are like what the fuck is this shit they not even playing instruments like Uh it's electronic like was kind of even one step past that they you know right we kind of had to figure a way in it was like you know that's why I got, that's why I think like early records like Curtis Blow uh you know world class wrecking crew out here on the west mm-hmm. a lot of them are very R&B slanted only because sure, or disco they, it was yeah. or disco because it was because we first of all musically hip hop borrowed from those yeah. genres or movements but then it was nowhere to you categorically we could you couldn't put this shit nowhere it was right. like using the record store underneath yeah, yeah. howard hewitt and shalimar and like oh dougie fresh <laughs> like right. you know what i'm saying curtis blow and uh, so I was climax the, i was on the grammy selection committee this must have been like 92 yeah for for the rap category yeah and uh you remember jerry davis for sure man so he he had Poly, invited me Poly to that. groove yeah yeah that's right so he uh, he invited me <laughs> to this thing, and I go to the Grammy, you know, the luncheon, and you break out and have to, and the whole job, I didn't understand until I got there. The whole job was to decide what fits into the category. So we weren't choosing the nominations. You're like, what we were is defining this shit? what could even be nominated <laughs> yeah. in that category. And, I remember those years. And so we had these discussions <laughs> about like, well, this one has too much singing. Yeah, there's a rapper, but it's really not a rap song. It's an R&B song or this. You know, all this stuff. To and this day, to this day, in terms of like, 
the institution of music, they still have a hard time determining what that is. For like, sure. You know, just yeah, and part of it is like, you know, you could probably say that about other things too. I think hip hop probably more so because like you said, it borrows from other genres. But you know, the whole issue of genre, like it keeps changing, mm -hmm. right? That's the nature of it, especially when you think of pop, which is basically like- Popular. Pop is just like, like pop what everybody never changed, likes. Though. That's what I always try to explain to people. Yeah. The definition is pop, uh, pop has never changed. The thing that changed our perception of it, when I say our, people who grew up, um, uh, who adhered probably more to the nuances of black music more than anything mm -hmm. else, like that, that, that definition changed for us once Michael Jackson made Thriller. Right. Like once he made Thriller, you know, then the, then the term crossover and yeah. um, what's deemed as uh, pop or uh, rock or soul, R&B, whatever, funk, whatever. Mm -hmm. Now this is now viable for a commercial audience or has a commercial audience because Michael Jackson incorporated all these elements and became the ultimate pop popular version of that. Yeah. So that's when it kind of changed for all of us. But prior to that, like it's that's. I've never been confused on that because I've been not, not I can't say never, but I'm probably less confused because I've always been like an employee or an executive in the music industry and an artist at the same time. So categorically, as an artist, I don't think trying to make my music in a particular way. Sure. But then I understand that it needs to be categorized in some way because business is mechanical and you got to fucking, right. you got to put this shit in the store. You got to, you know what I'm saying? You got to put this well, on a radio format, right, some shit sure. like that. So you have to be able to do Even if you put this shit on iTunes, the first thing they say is, hey man, send me the, send me away files and send me a description. Right. <laughs> they yeah, want you to, they want you to describe this shit still, yeah. even when it's, Completely, well, it, you, you know, know, and it makes uh, sense. I mean, you, you hear artists complain about, like, I don't want to be lumped into this category or that yeah. one. But, you know. And I and I hear that. But you know, but at some point, you don't have to lump it. As an artist, that's good. Right. You shouldn't create from perspective. Sure. But, but when Josh and Chase got to sell the motherfucker, right. <laughs> like, we got well, we to have to be able to say, when we go to iTunes and say, hey, exactly. man, I need advertising yeah. uh, for the first, for June 29th right. for Josh Levine's album. Okay. Yeah. What is it? He <laughs> like, uh, he raps, he sings, he's so and so. At sure. least we gotta know, you know, we, we have to be able to navigate them where your audience might be. Now you might have like a person like Drake is a perfect example of that, right? Somebody who has equal amount of R and B fans as he might have mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or, or or whatever. He's just a popular artist, so it really right. doesn't matter. So maybe that's a bad example. But you know, you but you know what I mean? Because Drake no, I is think such it's a great shit. example, right? Like But no, but he's a but what I'm saying is he's so well liked by he he's sure. so widely yeah, yeah, yeah. liked that it's hard to make the example where it's not right. like he has more R and B fans or less hip hop well, fans. Well Drake's he's gonna fucking, be at the front of the store no matter he, what. Yeah, he's gonna be that's what I'm saying. He, bad example. He's gonna be at the front of the store, you know, no matter fucking what. But if somebody like, you know, that that's probably less known than him that has the yeah. same dilemma in terms of like does more uh, does equal you know, amount of both as, an, as yeah. for his experience as an artist. That's what for I sure. mean. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have your own businesses? Maybe it's a side hustle. Maybe you're building a startup, uh, some type of creative business. You're a photographer, designer. You do events. Whatever you're doing. Um, you're probably doing it because you love doing it and not because you love doing the administrative tasks. So I want you to check out HoneyBook. Um, it's a great way to manage your business without having to manage your business. Is that, is that the right way to say it? It's an online business management tool that lets you control all your client communications, your bookings, contracts, invoices, all in one place so that you can stay organized and stay focused on your business. It integrates with your QuickBooks, your Google, MailChimp, whatever else you're using. 
Um, it's your business. It's just better. Right now, HoneyBook is offering our listeners 50% off your first year with the promo code REBEL. Payment's flexible, and the promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. So go to HoneyBook.com, use the promo code REBEL for 50% off your first year. Get paid faster, work smarter with HoneyBook.com, promo code REBEL. So, um, how'd you get started making music? Um, wow. Wow. I get started. You I said you were 15 when you started <laughs> rapping? No, I was 11. Oh, wow. first, I, I think I wrote my first rap. Whatever year it was, 85? Whatever year Michael Jordan was in the motherfucking Olympics, I wrote it about, like, you know, like okay. that whole shit. So yeah, I was already in the sneakers yeah, before, and Michael right. Jordan took over my life already. But at the same time, you know, like, hip-hop was the biggest shit in the world. I think I started writing raps about uh, when I was 11. Mm. And then I started making music. Um messing around with like you know the four track and all that shit probably when i was like 12 13 mm-hmm. the homie dave um i used to really fuck with him and make music and mm-hmm. um me and dj khalil met at superstar camp in santa barbara superstar camp was a uh, basketball camp for like um young i think he was in eighth grade yeah so it was like you know <clears throat> between the ages of like i guess 13 and 17 okay <laughs> was a, a, um a camp for kids that were really good in aau basketball uh-huh. khalil is the son of walt hazard oh, yeah, rest yeah. in peace who um, was the former head coach for ucla uh, and a former nba player with the lakers and all types of people so khalil was born to a basketball family mm. i've been playing basketball since i was nine years old year round <coughs> we both were you know probably pretty good for our age mm-hmm. went to superstar camp met there and that's where so scientific kind of started you know okay. um i was already writing raps and really into hip-hop and trying to make clothes and shit like that already but Khalil was, I don't know, Khalil was the first person I knew that had an academic perspective when it came to this shit. Like, Khalil made this shit seem like way more than music. Mm. Like, when, I, when we met one another, like, he was, and we we shared our fanaticism for okay. hip-hop. Like, we both were, like, huge gang. I remember I, I was, because like, we stayed at a superstar basketball camp, and it was, like, these fucking dorms. And when I, I, I remember walking down the hall and then hearing Mr. Nice Guy, mm-hmm. Gangstar, mm-hmm. coming, I was like... I thought I was the only motherfucker in yeah. all of the West Coast that even knew who Keith E.E. was. I was sure. like, I'm like, you know, not many people listen to, I mean, you not know. at that point. No, I mean, not- it wasn't a lot of people that even listen to Wild Pitch shit, period. Right. Like, just in general. Yeah. I love Wild Pitch as a label, you know. I always had, because Ultra Magnetic was one of my mm-hmm. favorite fucking groups. So anything they put out, I always was like, what's popping on? Because <laughs> I, I expected it to sound like Ultra Mag. Sure. I heard Gangstar coming. I was like... I remember, like, I remember walking down the hall and doing like this, like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> Khalil had the flat top and shit. I was uh-huh. like, okay, we obviously in the same shit. So it's funny to do Doug Gottlieb from uh, ESPN and all that uh-huh. shit. He was in our camp and all oh, that really? shit. Yeah. That's funny. All that shit. So me and Khalil was in the same fucking camp. And we became, like, good friends. We found out that our parents had known each other, you know, been involved in a movement, lived in Muhammad Ali's building together. They, mm. knew, they knew each other. All, all types of shit. And we was like, oh, man. We just became best friends, and um, that's what probably developed my, like, I was already a fan of this shit. Like, I like how it looked, how, mm-hmm. it, how it felt doing this shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? I like dancing and being, I, that shit was shit to me. But when I met Khalil, like, it formed, like, a whole nother, like, an academic perspective on this shit to where I could probably became, like, I don't know, like a 
fucking <laughs> some type of strange researcher or some shit like that. It's, it's yeah. a whole nother, I think that's why Self Scientific was the name of our group. It's because it's very cerebral. Yeah. 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 Our approach. She was only 18, living a sad dream. Washing her face inside a lavish bathroom sink. Looking in the mirror, she cried. He blackened her eyes. Fingerprints and bruised indents, they covered her thighs. Well, it's interesting. I know you, you know, we're going to talk about it. I know you've, you've crossed into other generations of, of rappers yeah. and, and artists. But, um, yeah. but, at, but at that time, and, I, and so I'm curious how much you see of that in the younger generations. But mm. at that time, there was this thing of like, you know, you walk in a room or you're in camp or you're in school or whatever, and, and not everybody was in the hip hop. Most people didn't know about it. <laughs> right. And so you would find that person, whether it was, the shoes they were wearing or, or the haircut, a chain or so, haircut yeah, or yeah, something. something, right? Let you know, like, did yeah. he tuck his shoe? Did he tuck his pair behind the tongue? Right. Like, oh, he might, okay. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> what you listening to? Like, the Walkman, you see the Walkman. If the sure. dude always had his Walkman, you're like, oh, okay. I know what he's listening to. He's not listening to heavy metal in the motherfuckers. Exactly. Most Man, likely. I remember we went to the, the Fresh Fest. <laughs> yeah. In uh, 80... 86. Uh, 85, 86. 85. Yeah. Long Beach? Oakland Coliseum. Oh. I grew up. In okay, the but they, they had that Long Beach out here. I remember yeah, yeah, that yeah. shit. That shit was crazy. And, and, what, and what hit me, you know, was like... Jermaine Dupri's father used to do them shits. I Is that right? Michael Malden. Oh, shit. Fresh Fest. I didn't know that. Yeah. So what hit me, you know, we had our, our crew that was... Hip-hop wasn't rare at my school, but not everybody, like you said. It was a little, you know... Yeah. But then you walk into this place, and it was like that group from every school in the bay he was like what in was the there fuck? and you're like this is a whole it's a whole world like yeah i remember them days man like it just I, hit, at that moment it hit me how big it was you yeah. know even locally i remember me too man i remember the first time i smelled sherm man it was like <laughs> i want my i want my brother travis to the sports arena i think it was fresh fest 80 because i went two years in a row uh -huh. i went 85 yeah, and 85, 86. 86 yeah and, 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 and 85 it was um at the sports arena they had UTFO. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember that because Fat Boys. Fat Boys. And the Skinny Boys, the motherfuckers the boys, we used to wear the Coca Cola shirts. Yeah, they yeah, they yeah. was there. Um, fucking, uh, I'm trying to remember all this shit. Um, Grandmaster Flash and Fuse 5. Okay. That might have been 86. I'm not sure. 85, bro. I mean, the first year. Might have been. And I think, was it? It was a long time ago. I got the t-shirt somewhere. What, what year did LL come out? That was, uh, he, I think he came out in 85. James can be our fact checker. I want to say LL Cool J, if I remember correctly, and keep in mind, I'm young as fuck, and I did smell Sherm for the, like, <laughs> like you know, not, not Sherm, it was um, Cocoa Puffs, like, uh -huh. you know, niggas would put Coke in the um, cigarette. Yep. Actually, I would ask my brother, I remember asking my brother, like, what the fuck is that smell? It just smelled like burning chemicals. I used to be like, well, he's like, come on, shut your ass up. I remember that smell. But it was at, we was at Sports Arena, and I think it was 85 because LL Cool J was a headliner. Okay. And this nigga came out with the, it was a tape deck. Oh, yeah. He came out the tape deck from radio. Uh -huh. I couldn't, it was over for me. That was crazy. It was the illest shit in the world. The first concert I've ever been to was um, Parliament Funkadelic. Oh, I think nice. With my brother Travis. I mean, that's, my that's brother Travis is 14 years older than me, so he's like a second father. And I think he took me to Parliament Funkadelic at the sports arena when I was like nine. And then I went to the sport, and I went to um, Fresh Fest. Sports Arena and Fresh Fest in Long Beach. And Sport, Fresh Fest in Long Beach, they had like a full out. That's the f f first time I seen an all out 
jail style brawl between multiple hoods. Wow. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being scared as shit. I so I went, for a year before, I was like, it's the greatest shit ever. The next year, I was like, oh, this is the worst <laughs> shit ever. You, you can get killed out here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Going to the Fresh Fest. That was the best shit ever. I'm sorry, I got off track. No, no, that's great, man. Those are good memories. Man, I remember that shit. It's funny, you just reminded me, uh, I don't know if you remember uh, Reggie Dennis from The Source. Yeah. That's the homie, and yeah. he, he told me, he said this to me years ago, Reggie. and I thought it was funny, but it, it makes more sense now. He was like, um, what did he say? He said, you know, hip-hop, basically hip-hop, uh, stop being cool when you didn't have to worry about getting beaten up at a show anymore. Wow. And there's like a lot wrong with that statement and a lot true of of it. It's like, it's an interesting perspective, I thought. But you know, to your point, like, yeah, we used to go to those shows and you know, one night- And not know what's going on. You don't know what's gonna happen. Exactly, but that was the excitement of it, you know? I I can honestly say as a grown man, I don't miss that, but- Exactly. That was a part that made you like, but when you're, you're 14 or whatever, yeah. like... It was the other shit. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. You're not going to forget it. Ever. That's right. And they're still talking about all those same guys. Like, there still hasn't been anybody ailer on the street than all them motherfuckers. They, all them same dudes. If they're not dead or yeah. in jail, they're still talking about them same dudes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you guys start doing your thing. At what point were you thinking that that was your career, or, or at what point did that happen? Never, probably, right? And that's, and that's what started me working in the music industry. Yeah. So Khalil's mom, Chalisa, who's like a second mom to me, um, <clears throat> she was the head of a program called Yes to Jobs. Mm. Youth Entertainment Summers that was started by Alka Farrell and Jerry Moss, the mm-hmm. A and M and A and M Records. Mm-hmm. So we had youth. Um, it was a youth program. If you had a three grade point average, <coughs> and and if you um, were fourteen to eighteen, they gave you summer paid internships. Nice. Um, so for me, you know, it was an opportunity to get free tickets mm-hmm. and get to fucking shows and get all. You know, back then we had promo copies, so I'd have your album three weeks right. before street date, and I'm the fucking man at school. Everybody's huddling around me trying to get, hear the new fucking Tribe Called Quest album or whatever it is. So mm-hmm. that shit was amazing, and I got paid. Yeah, I got paid. I got to know people in the music industry, and I was close to something I was already in love with. So I did that every summer that I could. Oh, cool. Until. Until I went to college in Atlanta, me and Khalil both went to college in Atlanta, and um, you know that's where we really started really putting out records with Self Scientific. A, yeah. a lot of people don't realize, like, you know, me and Khalil didn't put out records in high school and all that shit. Like we were, like, out of out of college. <laughs> like, right. you know, what I'm saying '96, '99. Yeah. Our first album came out '99. You know? Wow. We left we left school in '96. Yeah. So, is there something to? I mean, that's a long time from when you started making music together to actually putting out a record. Right? Yeah. Um, is that a good idea to, to develop, wait to wait that long and develop uh, It's a good idea. I, I would say so. I'm the wrong person to ask, you know. I'm the wrong person to ask because I'm closer to the creativity than I am the business. I always have been. Okay. Even though I've been mildly successful doing both. <clears throat> um, Maybe more I, than mildly. You know, mildly in comparison. 
We in, we in Mike Karen's building right now. We all know Mike, motherfucker, Miley. <laughs> um, yeah, but, no. no, but you know what I mean. I know what you mean. I've been you know, mildly successful with this shit, so I think I've always been closer to the music, though. Right. You know, I care way more about the music than I do about the business. Like, I love making money, but, you know, so I don't know. Yeah, but even that, like, is that is that necessarily a bad thing? No, it's not. It's not a bad thing. But I'm just saying, I'm the wrong person to ask, though. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if that's a. My assessment is always going to be closer to that. Take your time to develop the music. Fuck what anybody says, right? Mm -hmm. But then, but then I also understand if you don't have the luxury of time, you might need to put the product out. And we have context because we remember the time before the internet. Mm -hmm. So it's easy for us to go, oh shit. You'll know how it might appeal to somebody like me, like right. Mike, like right away without having to translate it. Right. It's the nuances that you can't translate, and that comes from, from, from experiences. And the thing that we do forget sometimes, once you start actually, like, you know, Rocky had fucking problems. I was like, oh, it's on. We're about to do this all the time. Like, you know what I'm saying? You mm -hmm. forget that that's not guaranteed. Or that, you know, you know there's, no, there's no map that navigates that particular. You can't put the nuances together and create that again. Right. You can't. You know what I'm saying? Mike Karen can't do it. Clive Davis couldn't do it. Fucking Armand Erdogan couldn't do it. Like, Absolutely. you know. Nobody can do that shit over and over and over and over and over again. Like, and that's why when people like a Drake come along, you're like, what in the fuck? Like, how does this shit happen? What type of magic does this nigga have? Because sure. it's over and over again. It's not supposed to really happen that way. Right. Right? You know, it's, so it, you might disagree with me on this because you're a creator. Hmm. But um, I feel like the reason why, I mean, I, I agree with you that, that we're in the manipulation business, right? Well, um, and I think part of the reason for that is because there's really no such thing as good music. Mm -hmm. There's there's what you like, there's what I like, there's definitely, you know, what most people, you know, there's Drake, right, who a lot of people like compared to some artists that a few people like. I would kind of argue that doesn't make Drake better than than someone who's less popular. Yeah, right? to give me an example, you can't say someone who's less popular. <laughs> <laughs> if we're gonna argue the point, you gotta put, you know what I mean? You gotta put somebody with equal talent that's not as known as Drake on the on the block here. And I'm and I'm waiting for you to find that person. I'm just, I, can, I'm just, I can't draw that exact clarification. Okay, so we can't make that comparison. But here's what I'm gonna say. Is like, okay, let's go back to Gangstar. <laughs> okay. Right? So Gangstar did its thing around the same time Hammer was doing his thing. Okay. Right? By some definition, Hammer's a better artist. He was more popular, he made more money, etc. I dare say, Josh, and I've been doing this the same time as you, I dare say I have never in my entire life, even in the back alleys of Oakland, California, <laughs> my brother, have I ever heard a motherfucker say, MC Hammer is the better artist well, that's than why fucking Gangstar. I've heard them say MC Hammer deserves credit. MC Hammer was the man. MC Hammer did a lot for Oakland. MC Hammer's a real nigga. I done heard a lot of shit. I ain't never heard a motherfucker say. Well, I think, Ever nowhere. So I think Hammer that's my point. Hammer wouldn't say that. Hammer would be like, you bugging. Yeah, <laughs> I think you're right. Hammer would say, he'd be like, you serious? DJ Premier? But I think that's kind of Chris my point, Martin right? Chris Martin and Keith that, Elam? Fuck uh, out of here. If you're just judging by popularity... If you're equating quality and popularity, mm -hmm. you're going to be wrong or you're going to... I uh, agree with that. Do you know what but I'm saying? in this day and age, I mean, and I, think, I think the criteria you have to, you, you have to define what good is. That's it. Absolutely. That's it. But, you know, but I... But, but and, so, and, and good is, that's, that's relative. 
Yeah. You know, that's that's your perspective. You know what I'm saying? That's what you, you know, some people. Absolutely. Like, I, there's this kid named John Ross. You know, what's the name's son from yeah. Delicious Vinyl? Uh-huh, yeah. So John, yeah. cool as fuck. John's like a fucking a, a surrogate son to like, <laughs> no, I shouldn't even say that. That's the little homie. <laughs> so I always fuck with him, though, because he is the biggest fucking Chief Keith fan you've ever heard in your life. Okay. You can't, you can't, you can't bring up no music. If you bring up, we're sitting in here and you bring up music, he's going to make the whole conversation about how influential Chief <laughs> Keith is on the gym. I don't give a fuck if I say, hey man, that horn in that song is amazing. It's not better than Chief Keith on, on, on Sosa. So <laughs> just like, I think he does at this point just to fuck with me. Oh, sure. And I do it just to fuck with him. But my point is, it's so like, you can't, and Chief Keith is a, a brilliant artist, you know what I'm saying? But I'm just saying, yeah. musically, it, you can't, people have their own influence mm -hmm. they, to him that's the best shit ever invented right period I don't give a fuck about Kanye gangsta all that shit right Chief Keith Sosa and if it wasn't for him you could say what about Kanye he'll be like don't like Kanye we made don't like la, 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 right. Chief Keith Sosa he got an answer for everything there's people like that for everybody so my point is you know you can't I don't I don't necessarily have a definition of what good for me, you know, there's all types of music, right? And when mm -hmm. you say bad and there's good, you have to separate separate music from it. Right. Right? Good so, good is a general vibration. You're going to, you know, you you're going to promote it's going to it's going to induce feelings of uh excitement, mm -hmm. <laughs> joy, uh or and make you contemplate about the emotions that actually make you feel generally good. Mm -hmm. Right? Bad, uh, there are there's music that's crafted to make you feel bad. You know, For when sure. People say it's emo, and people say it's there's, right. there's music that's crafted to make you tune into the emotions that are not extremely bad. So that's how I try to define it. Like I hear some shit that's extremely minimal and motherfucker slurring that I think is great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. <coughs> I hear some shit with somebody <laughs> with math rocking and shit changes every four fucking bars and shit. I'm like, oh, that shit's horrible. But you know. But it's great for somebody. But it's great for somebody. Right. It's great for somebody. So. Well, so that's kind of my point, right? And yeah. that's that's I think the role that the marketing and the business plays, right? Is 100%. that so much of what we like has to do with where we heard it, how we learned about it the first time, how often we that's, heard it. That's the manipulation. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. So so, but my point is that's important. Right. Right. And, you know, manipulation might sound negative. Yeah. But I think that's important because sure. some of our favorite music. We wouldn't have liked it oh. if we hadn't been manipulated. Maybe That's what the to, music business is, it. man. That's what makes it so evil at times. It's manipulation and, exploit and exploitation for uh, for monetary exchange. Well, my, my lips are looking dry as fuck over there. Oh, shit. Uh. <laughs> it's, um, it's, um, you know, for monetary exchange, brother. That's yeah. exactly what it is. Manipulation and exploitation. In the land where just because of your skin, crooked cops make niggas targets. My upbringing was solid, but shit I got involved with. Could have had me stretched out or somebody coughing. Cold streets roam on the land that's awkward. Can't even understand the language that they write the laws in. We've been struggling for centuries and better kind of odd. So, okay, so you were doing both at the same time. So you're making music. You're also working on the business side. Mm -hmm. Um was that always the plan? Was there was there points when you were gonna like drop one or the other? And no, it wasn't always a plan. I got into the music industry because I didn't want to get fucked as an artist. Mm. We always used to hear about people signing these record label deals and yeah. 
got in fucked up position. So we started working in the music industry to, to, to kind of learn more about it. And I started making money and, and you know, I realized then, I was like, wow, this is an actual career. You mm-hmm. can do this shit and still smoke weed. <laughs> 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 kind of how that happened. Yeah, so I was sure. like, yeah, so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, so simultaneously we were doing it. I, but I kind of used to hide the fact that we were artists because I didn't want people to judge me thinking. Right. I didn't want people to think that I wasn't valuable in a conference room because I was trying to get a deal at the same time. Like, oh, I any, mean, anyway. You know what I mean? That's why people like Puffy, you know, you thank God for people like Puffy because he did everything. So then you always had an example to point to, like, yeah. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I'm putting out an album Tuesday and I'm coming to the goddamn marketing meeting Tuesday sure. as well. Why not? Puffy does it. Right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I think, you know, it, it struck me when I, so I went to, I started out interning at Motown and, uh, I knew nothing about the music industry. Right. I just I went for the free records, and uh, I'm like, oh, they got that Motown catalog. I'm, I'm there. <laughs> I need all that. Yeah. <laughs> Real and uh, and uh, but one of the first things I learned was how much. Um, what's the word? Like, disrespect sounds a little bit strong, mm-hmm. but how much people just thought so little of the artists. Oh yeah. No, disrespect the, the is halls. the right word. Yeah. That's not harsh. That's but, I mean, some of it was very subtle. It wasn't yeah. like... I mean, it's not the individuals. It's the... Yeah, it was it's, the climate. It's the climate. For sure. It's just, it is what it is, bro. Yeah. still is. Yeah. The artist is... My father used to always tell me... My father was in the entertainment industry and came from a time where, as a black artist, you really didn't make any money mm-hmm. unless you played for the mafia. And this is the truth. And um, he told me all the time that, the you know, the mafia... Um, set up the music industry, um, the pay structure, and that the artist always gets paid last. Yeah. It's just the structure of the music industry. Everybody gets paid mm-hmm. before the artist. Mm-hmm. That's it. In terms of the payment, you know what I mean? Sure. Always. That's why it's funny you said Motown Records. You know, I was blessed. Like, my father worked in the music industry, and then he was always an entrepreneur, so... He tried to educate me, and like when he saw that I was trying to really get into the music industry, and he had friends, you know, my and my mother had friends with you know people like Dick, um, Dick Griffey, Dick Griffey, yeah, um, motherfucking. I'm just trying to think of all these old black executives. Uh, they used to always be in my house, and you know, uh-huh. my father was a you know head uh, was heavily involved with chicken and waffles. Oh, okay. Um, back in the day, so all these people that were always around my house that were black executives early yeah. in the music industry I should just always hear all these stories and this is like you know we talk we celebrate people now for owning their masters and shit like that but these have been conversations since of course since then yeah. and I remember Clarence Avon and like his son Alex, Alex. and yeah like you know them is like those brothers are like you know, those are the examples you know the people that mm-hmm. when you think about particularly as a black a young black executive like trajectory and like what you're trying to do in this shit, you know, those are one of very few examples that we have. Some of those people at Motown. Motown is an institution mm-hmm. still to this day. Mm-hmm. But Ethiopia is still, you know, run all this stuff. And Ethiopia mm-hmm. actually was a, a product of the program that I was. Oh, was, nice. She was. Um, she did yester jobs too. Yeah. So you know, just I I get it, man. I used to always hear about that too. Artists still get very little respect. We forget that it's the music 
business, not right. the business music. Like, right. <laughs> it's yeah, crazy. absolutely. Yeah. So you said you you got into the business side to help your artist career, right? In yeah. the sense of to learn. That was the, that was the idea. So, but did being an artist help you on in the business side? Not until later. How do you mean? Uh, like now, right, right? Like I started working with Rocky when I was 36. Um, so everything that I had been through as an artist up until then helped fuel what I was doing with Rocky. You know, mm -hmm. we were always in the fashion. We had songs like Designer Music and mm -hmm. always trying to create this fucking intersection between fashion and music. And like we couldn't really succeed in doing certain things because maybe it wasn't that time yet. Okay. Um, but having having gone to Magic for 17 years and mm -hmm. being an artist that was getting clothes for free and new motherfuckers and all, yeah. that, all that shit actually was an advantage when I started working at a different level. Maybe not with Exhibit, maybe not with Strong Arm Steady, maybe not with DJ Khalil, like, but at a certain point, like, all those experiences, and I think that's just life in general, like, everything that I went through as an artist was actually what, if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't be able to work with Rocky in the capacity that, you know, that I do. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, we had, to, I had to, the path that he was talking, that he talks about coming from Harlem to Soho wearing, you know, all that shit. That's, you know, I had the same fucking, sure. people called me a yo because I used to wear fucking Timberlands and shorts. I'm from L.A. Like, you know right. what I'm saying? It was unheard of. Like, yeah. similar type shit. So I think all those experiences, and, you know, we're the gangster of the West Coast. We, we didn't fucking make any music with hand claps and, uh -huh. you know. We don't, we, don't, we don't really sound like a traditional West Coast right. group. So we always were kind of, over here, like, you know, you don't, they don't mention us amongst the corrupts and the dog pounds and shit because of that, mm -hmm. you know, even amongst the freestyle fellowships and that shit, because our music was a little bit more, like, like gangstar, more boom bap shit, mm -hmm. like, yeah, straight up. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know what the question was, but. Here, <laughs> yeah, I think I answered the shit. I know either, but it was a good answer. Yeah. Um, so, was there a moment when you decided to stop being an artist? Uh, no, you don't ever stop. Decide, you don't ever stop being an artist. You know, I don't put out music as often, but I'm still an artist. Okay. Shit, I still paint. I still make clothes. Yeah. I still design my stores. I still write rhymes every now and then. But I'm still an artist. Yeah. I think so. Just don't get no attention for it nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> but but you but obviously you, you, the focus shifted. For sure. Right. Sure. From, I mean, I understand you all, you've always been artists. Yeah, no, the that focus sense, shifted 100% right, heavily with ASAP Rocky. Rocky, yeah. you know, working with Rocky took over my life in 2010, 2011. Yeah. But it sounds like that was more something that just kind of happened. It just kind it of just evolved. It wasn't like you it, decided. It, like Right. It wasn't like, a, you know, I'm gonna, I was trying to pursue that or anything. It's just it's the course of, the natural course of my life. Yeah. By the grace of God, went that way and actually, you know, made history with the brothers. Yeah. 
So what's, um, I know you, like you said, having been an artist en enabled you to kind of really thrive in that role. Mm -hmm. Can you, can you think of a specific example of where you brought that experience of having been an artist to, to that situation? Oh, man. I would say the first three years of Rocky's career is probably what was the most valuable. You know, the first time you go to Europe, the first time you're doing your own tour, rehearsing for the first time for your actual tour, like, I've, you know, I know what all that's like. I've had to go to Europe on my own dime. I've had to pay for my own rehearsal spaces and shit like that. So just, you know, getting that, you know, those first, the development, you know, the initial marketing, like, and shit like that, like, that was, all that shit was instrumental because <clears throat> at that level, you're an underground artist and mm -hmm. trying to pretty much trying to get known and, and it's about how you position yourself and because of my relationships also as an artist um, people take my phone call a little different probably too sure I have a you know I, I my appeal to most people is on artistic level you know on a friendship level it's not from mm -hmm. uh, an opportunistic you know maybe now that right. you know, people are like oh shit this thing I might be calling about play with Cardi, they said Rocky or fucking something, you know. But before, I mean, just in general, people, I have a respect as an artist, you know, at a certain level. They know we have a certain taste level. or So I, when I call people, it doesn't really sit as a business opportunity right away. It's mm -hmm. more about the, the music. Mm -hmm. So I think all that kind of really helped. And really, you know, in the first three to four years, developing years of Rocky's career, so when you think about this role as as manager, what um, what's what's your favorite thing about it? I don't know if I have a favorite thing about it, you know, playing uh, about the role as manager, right? I like to think of myself as less of a manager, more you know, me and Rocky are actually like we're partners, okay? And it's this brand called Aug. You know, at this point, Rocky's got uh, a team of motherfuckers, right? Sure. <laughs> Um, so I'm, it's more about like, and I've always been really good, even when, when I first started working with Rocky and Yams, about um, amplifying, you know, like with them, my role was never to be the creator necessarily. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I lended my, I'm creative in general, so I approach things creatively, but it was really about taking what they had created and helping to amplify it based upon the examples that I've seen. Yeah. You know, we've seen a lot of collectives in hip-hop, I've been fortunate to be close to some of them, um, you know, and, and see how they operate and see the mistakes that they made as a collective and shit. We all have, right? So mm -hmm. I think, you know, that, that perspective is what really helps with fucking with, with, with Rocky and Yams early, too. Did you recognize with those guys, I mean, obviously you, you've known many talented artists along yeah. the way. Yeah. As we talked about, some more successful than others. Um and, and, you know, talent and success don't always go hand in hand, right? Right. Uh, <clears throat> when, you, when you met Rocky and those guys and started working with them, did you realize what they had, what you guys had right away, or did that sort of become evident over time? I knew a Rocky once I heard this song called Toast to the God. It's over like a Puffy remix or some shit. Mm -hmm. um, I knew once I heard that, like, I can't front, like, I used to fuck with Calendar. You know Calendar? Mm -mm. Calendar is like a really good friend of Rocky's or, you know, had for a long time. Um, and he was working with them. 
you know, trying to help them get a deal and shit before mm. Rocky had dropped um, Peso <clears throat> and Purple Swag. He came down to the store and prohibit. I remember we were arguing because I'm from L.A. And, you know, and it was just, I was just fucking with him. Just <clears throat> I don't even know if I meant this shit, but he was like, I, he was like, um, ASAP, ASAP. I was like, ASAP. I was like, man, our future, motherfucker. Our future. See, I remember we had this argument. It was just funny, <laughs> but it was just, I was just arguing with him at first. Yeah. It was just, he played the video for me. It was a song called <coughs> Get High. And it was Ferg and Rocky. Ferg was wearing like a Carhartt vest and some shit like that, looking like straight out of a Melly Mel video or some shit. And Rocky had a straight perm. I was like, these niggas is from New York. I was so confused because, like, yeah. culturally, they, you know, visually, they did not look like what I knew in New York. Here I am, a, a West Coast motherfucker that loves New York. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, this ain't what I do. Where are the Timberlands in this yeah. shit? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I didn't really see that there, but. So I didn't get it at first right away. You know, you know what I mean? That song was dope as shit, and it was interesting to me because Rocky didn't even rhyme on the song. He sang. Mm. You know, Ferg really did the rap. Mm -hmm. um, so I was talking shit to Calendar, but at the same time, I was like, oh, that shit is kind of dope. And then Rocky just, you know, it's the first time you see Snoop. Mm -hmm. You know? Like, it's just a certain charisma. You'd be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Where is this nigga coming from? Like, yeah. you know, Rocky was the same type of thing. Yeah. But I probably wasn't convinced that I really wanted to work with him until I heard, because, you know, it seemed like a, um, like a, it was it was stylized, you know what I'm saying? And as a fan of shit, I'm a fan of, of shit that has probably more substance than style. Mm -hmm. And when I first saw it, it felt stylized to me. And the thing that convinced me that he had substance as well, and I was like, oh, no, I got to work with this motherfucker, <laughs> was after uh, Toast of the Gods. Mm. I was like, oh, shit. If he got all that style and all that shit and he put substance with it too, oh, yeah. It's not too many kids like that. It's not too many artists like that, period, so... I think that's when I recognized it. But it was at Prohibit at my store. Yeah. And then Lord Eastside just kind of sitting behind the counter listening to the... I'd already met the brothers and been talking shit, but then I listened to this this Toast to the God freestyle. I was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's something about whips and chains. It's some line. I tell them that all the time. I'm like, you know that's the line that made me want to fuck with you, like, for real. Like, that line was crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So, so talk about prohibit for a minute, because I know, um, uh, you know, I, I think most people like they get the opportunity to be part of a, a store. You know, like they might throw a little money in, say that they're, you know, but they're probably not sitting in the store meeting people when they walk in. No, but that's my thing. I'm so, addicted to retail. Yeah. Yeah. I'm addicted to retail. I like, I like, I, and I like creating experiences. I've, um, you know, I just get into this shit, you know? It's something about having a physical location mm -hmm. for people to come, right, and experience something. <clears throat> it's just, you know, I think that's, it's fucked up, right? Because there's so many things that we complain about about America, but at its core, our greatest export is culture, or what, sure. we, or what we like to deem culture. And I kind of hate that word, but <clears throat> the word culture. And one of the, the biggest cultures that we have is consumer culture. Mm. Um, the thing that, you know, for some people shopping is therapy, going out and even if you're not buying something, being in a retail environment where the lights are different and the fucking, they got glitter on the fucking ribbon thing that's sitting, you know, all that shit is visually stimulating. It kind of, you know, you kind of 
when you think about them, when you're in a state of poverty and you think about the things that you want, you know, the smells, the feeling, the sight of actually, you know, being in a store and experience are the things that you kind of tugs on your emotional chain, like, oh, fuck, you know, can, can you connect that to your child or your mm -hmm. loved one that you can't, like, oh, fuck, I want to be able to do it. But it's really about, and it's a psychological warfare in some ways when you can't do that because then the experience becomes a thing that torments you. But when you're, but it's also the thing that kind of <clears throat> fuels you, you know, and, and as a consumer, you know what I'm yeah. saying? And we're all consumers no matter sure. how much we want to. Uh, so I like creating experiences, particularly when they have like, when the details are dialed into like nuances that either only you know about the creator or, or the creator knows about you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So that shit is cool to me. So prohibit. I sat there because I've been, the first place that I went ever outside of America was Japan in 1995. Oh, wow. Before, something like that. That's way back. Yeah. yeah. And the first time I went, Utaka. Gotta mm -hmm. say, what's up to DJ Utaka, my brother, who was the Yutaka first person. Played my, played my first club. Utaka's a legend and, yeah. uh, and a Zulu king from Japan. If it wasn't for him, I'd have never went to Japan. I went there with him for the first time and he introduced me to Harajuku and mm -hmm. Uh, Rapongi and just Kyoto and just I mean all the Japan and I just been in love with the shit ever since then. But if, if it wasn't for him, <clears throat> I would have never went. It's mm. my relationship to him with him and um, his appreciation for the self scientific. That's why we started getting a sort of an international audience mm -hmm. because we started doing stuff in Japan and shit like that. But man, yeah. So how do you? Uh, so your newest endeavor is Haroon Coffee. My newest, yeah, Haroon Coffee is the newest endeavor. Okay. Um, I started that because, like, you know, I've been working with Rocky for eight years. Yeah. Um, less, um, probably in an effort to stay <coughs> just fresh in my own mind, right? And and wanted to do, and that's funny because I I kind of told him this yesterday too. I was like, man, I just wanted to do something that was like that wasn't attached to anybody else, mm. you know? Aaron, yeah. is, Aaron Chase Johnson is my full government name. Um, Harun is Aaron in Arabic, so Harun, okay. is, Harun is my name. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because you know that Aaron is a, is a Hebrew or Hebrew name. And, and it's my grandfather's name. It's a Hebrew name. Levine will be your grandfather's <laughs> name. He was actually the first, the first priest of the tribe of Levi. Right. And, and Moses' brother. Moses had a speech impediment after burning his tongue, mm. and um, Aaron um, received the, com oh, Moses received the commandments from God, but Aaron actually communicated them to the people when, okay. a when Moses was marching the, the tribe no across idea. the Sahara. Yeah, because Moses was in a, he had a speech impediment, and Aaron was a, what they describe as a brilliant orator. So, um, it means, Harum is my name, and um, it's, a, uh, it's a multicultural platform I mean, it's a cultural platform that um, multifaceted, rather, in the uh, Lamert Park area, mm -hmm. the Crenshaw District, Lamert Park. Uh, Lamert Park is the um, historically um, artsy or cultural area of West Central Los Angeles. For many people that don't know, Watts is the motherland when it comes to black people in Los Angeles. Um, that's where masses of us kind of migrated and settled at post Jim Crow laws in Los Angeles. Um, there, and it wasn't until 1948 that a person of color was able to really, or, or really lived 
east of Hobart or west wow. of Hobart. Um, the case I think was Shelley versus Rowe mm. in 1948. I, I believe you gotta look it up, but I think it was Shelley brought in 1948 when some of the housing laws were overturned. Mm -hmm. So the Merck Park was a um, a neighborhood that was built by the Walter H. Merck Company. It kind of prohibited black people from being there until until unless you were a, a butler or a slave mm -hmm. until you know 1948 some of those laws were overturned uh black people didn't really start moving in there until uh right through watts rights you know mm -hmm. what they call white flight mm -hmm. from from the Merck park and it became predominantly black and known for the art galleries and uh social political um identity of the inhabitants and people there so it's pretty much like that today um, some of the, that fabric is still there, but you have a large contingency um, of people that are gentrifying the fuck out of the neighborhood. Of course. Uh, some of that's negative, some of that's positive, Most, <clears throat> mostly negative. Um, I put a coffee shop, I bought a home there um, and put a coffee shop there, really out of necessity, seeing that, you know, we, we walk, my son and shit like that. and. Mm -hmm. The only places we had to drink coffee or get a cup of coffee or tea or anything were Starbucks or 7-Eleven, McDonald's, and Krispy Kreme mm -hmm. within like a you know 1.2 mile radius. Yeah. So I mean, obviously I saw an opportunity, um, but then I realized as well that there's no central point for communication. Like if you got somewhere that's being rapidly gentrified, most of the time you get a coffee shop or somewhere that pops up that represents that gentrification. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm trying to be, you know, um, um, I'm trying to be an example of a business that can have the look and feel of what they would deem a progressive uh, establishment, mm -hmm. but still be fueled by the people that actually care about the community. So um, we get a lot of, it's weird because I don't do a lot of press and shit like that. So people come in there and expect it to be a white owner because of the way it looks. Funny. And shit like that, and they're like, what is this? Where are the black people? And they see me and go, oh, you guys are gentrifiers. And they see me, and, and they go, oh, you know. So it's, it's. I mean, I, I saw something on your Instagram with like yeah. some dude who's like, yeah, obviously didn't know what he was talking about. He doesn't know. But, he has no idea. Which right? is, you know, that's what I laugh is at for, it because right? if anybody knows me, right? Like, yeah. if anybody knows me, it's like just like fuck out of here. Like it's like it's almost like the opposite, right? right? If if I'm guilty of anything in this industry, it isn't. It's been probably wearing my emotions on the, my sleeve and, mm -hmm. and over-representing, like, my people, like, mm -hmm. and, and I mean in this industry, in life, just in general, like, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? So that shit is funny, but we do get some of that because it looks nice, and it looks like, I guess if, you know, and it sounds weird to even say it, right, but I guess it looks like a place that would be owned by white people. <laughs> If it's just the waste, which is the weirdest shit ever. I argue about this shit all the time. Like, what does that mean for fucking mean? <laughs> because there's white walls? <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. But I go through that shit all the time. But, you know, it's, um, it's, just a, it's a platform to build art, culture, um, and connectivity in the mm -hmm. community. Period. That's it. That's we, amazing. We do, we do um, art shows every... Two months or so. Right now, you got a kid named Glenn Marrero. Um, I'm not a kid. A young brother named Glenn Marrero that I've been knowing for a long time. He's, mm. He was a graphic designer and artist, and he's just got a, a brilliant narrative. His stuff is up now. We got um, um, coffee, teas, donuts, smoothies. 
the food of gentrification, avocado toast. <laughs> I mean, you have to have avocado toast. That's... I mean, if you're going to be, if that's like the fucking bridge between <laughs> the old bad neighborhoods and the new neighborhoods, I guess. I'm just playing. No, but we got, um, and we have um, clothes. So what I did was I separated, because I've always had stores. Mm-hmm. So one side is a store uh, and a gallery, art gallery, and the, another side is um, the coffee shop. Yeah. Come down. 4336 Degnan Boulevard in Lamert Park, California. Love it. Harmon Coffee. Um, I mean, you, you sort of answered this already, but but how does your experience in business and entertainment and music, uh, what, what did you learn that you brought to this business now? The coffee? Yeah. How to market, you know, how to make something, how to, how to find a community and make something um, known or relevant within that community and then grow it from there. That's a, that's a tactic that I think we all learn from music, right? Mm-hmm. You, you're applying that with your podcast. Sure. That's why I'm here. Like, you're like, oh, fuck Chase. I'm a Chase. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Same shit. Like, you learn how to build communities. You learn how to disseminate messages. You learn how to position something. That's really what I learned. Yeah. You know, I learned that really more so from self-scientific, from anything, because we didn't have any resources. And we had to find a way to make ourselves known within certain communities. Yeah. So that we could perform and make money because we didn't sell records <laughs> you know what i mean right yeah well look you know hip-hop at one point especially you know anything that wasn't super mainstream has always been diy yeah well that's what i mean like so we had to have like the snowboarders or the fucking skateboard community be into our shit mm-hmm. you know the independent fashion kids because we had to go to agenda you know magic and all that shit yeah um before it was like a huge thing we were always performing at those things because we had fans in those audiences we always were on the snowboard shits on ESPN remember she do those compilation things uh-huh. and all that shit uh-huh. we were always like a group on there you yeah. know what I mean because we, that's the com- and we just constantly went to those communities because they responded mm-hmm. and I pretty much apply the same tactic or idea when you know marketing shit marketing shit socially or uh, create a marketing plan for a new project you kind of you try to build or create communities and then bring everybody else to the party around that it's like i guess it's like a another version of fear missing out that shit is true i just try to create a scenario where people are always looking over the fence so. <laughs> Don't some real shit. that's great um is uh where hip hop's at now, with it being so commercial, is it is that DIY energy? Do you still see that? Oh yeah, more than ever. Yeah, fuck yeah. That's more. That's what labels don't do. No artist development. Labels ain't doing shit. So sure. yeah, if you if it was not for DIY, you, you don't know about it mm. most of the time. No shit. All this shit is, you know, started by itself. And mm-hmm. then, and that's pretty much the, the system now, right? It's a farming system. You kind of see it, you analyze, but you see even 
even further now. You don't analyze. You you get the analytics <laughs> like a lot of this time. Right. And then you try to amplify whatever you see out there that actually has a spike or this movement. That's what a lot of these A&R guys want to do because people don't even actually discover artists based upon what they like anymore. It's like, sure. does it doesn't have an algorithm. Right. So, some days is... <laughs> It's over, which I would, well, you know, but I have a different philosophy. I think, you know, the more and more that shit becomes popular, the more and more people actually like traditional shit. You know, mm -hmm. three years ago, we started doing snipes and billboards and fucking bus benches and stencils yeah. and shit, like, you know, with this campaign called August, just because nobody did it. Yeah. And when you see it now, you're like, oh, now it's so overdone. When you see sure. it, you're like, fuck, people still doing that shit? Because now everybody started doing it. But when we first did it, it was like, oh, shit, because you remember that. There's an emotional connection. There, you have an emotional connection to poster boards right now. Somebody did poster boards and hit a whole fucking yeah. telephone pole right now all down the bread. You go, oh, fuck. Of course. You would take pictures of that, and yeah. you probably don't take pictures of much shit. You would be right. like, oh, fuck. I remember back in the day, AZ. Uh -huh. Remember the AZ stickers? And you would go in there and tell me, what are you talking about, you old fuck? And people go back like, oh, shit, they actually did that. It becomes something like, yeah. but if you don't know that that's, a, that that's something that people have emotional connection, then you don't know how to draw or make that a viral moment mm -hmm. or to make that. You have to go, oh, shit, poster board. <laughs> we just did that. We just did a sticker campaign. In, in, uh, in Yeah, but three right. years later, everybody's doing this shit. Now right. and people are inundated. Of course. Now it's like, of course, because, you know, we got a call from a client about it because now they see it and it's, you know, people only. You know what they said Rocky did? He did this whole cool thing. Like, you're like, Nigga. right. Anyway. And then, you know, <laughs> and then I mean, that, that's the game, right? It's like, it's the game. People go, yeah. People need to feel comfortable. For sure. Having seen somebody else do it. For sure. But that's what I get kicked out of trying to find the next thing for motherfuckers to call you about in two months. Like, oh my God, do you see this shit? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I, I come up for the next. That's what I get kicked out of. That's what keeps me up smoking until 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> nice. All right. Um, okay, I have to get to a, a lightning round before I let you get out of here. Okay, cool. Because I definitely got to get out of here. What's your favorite city to travel to? <laughs> Japan. And, um, oh, I'm sorry. Um, yes, yeah, city. City. Tokyo and... Uh, <coughs> Tokyo and... What's on the west coast of, um, of Australia? Oh, my God. It's fucking killing me right now. Perth. I love Perth. Oh, I never been. I never. Most no people one's ever mentioned Perth to me. That's why I love it. Because <laughs> <laughs> niggas don't go. Have you been? It's amazing. Really? It's so just peaceful and quiet and leave me the fuck alone. Nice. Yep. Perth. Who's your favorite DJ? <sighs> That's fucked up. We save that one for a second. Who's my favorite DJ of all time? Mm. Damn, I'm going to piss some of the homies off. <laughs> you can pick more than one. Can That's I pick scenarios? Yeah. Like if I'm doing a club? Okay. Uh, if I'm doing a club for my era, it's either Kid Capri or Clark Kent. Okay. It's just me. I'm doing a club, right? Then J-Rock is really good. Like, J-Rock's record selection is ridiculous. Like, for a party for me, like, you come and chase Infinite Party, it's most likely a nigga like J-Rock. Just because his selection of records, like, mm -hmm. it's the shit I want to hear all night. Mm -hmm. And then, like, on some, you know, 
technical DJ shit, like as an instrument, like a turntablist. Rest in peace, man. Rock Raider, man. Rock Raider. Hubert, mm-hmm. probably. I mean, but you know, probably the best DJ. I'm from the West Coast, so the best DJs in the world, man, from right here to mm-hmm. me. Philadelphia and here. Philadelphia yeah. and here. Jazzy Jeff might be my favorite, like, all-around DJ. Only because he, oh, you know what? I got to say that. Only because he represents every facet. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff, like, for real, Jeff might be the best DJ ever. Arguably the best DJ ever. I agree. Yeah. Because it's nothing that he hasn't, like, been really, really, yeah, I'm going to say that. I talked my way through it. <laughs> Fuck it. And, and nobody can be mad. Nobody's going to be mad at that. D- Jazzy Jeff. No, it's hard to argue with that. Is the illest DJ. He's the purest. What, what's the last great book you read? Um, Le Quran. I've heard of it. That was corny, but it, because, but it is. I literally, I literally, I literally read passages this morning. You know, okay. you're, you're supposed to open it and just read. Just, I, I read passages this morning, so I, 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 I can actually say that. Okay. But the actual last great book that I actually read, that is, is um, the history of the Black Peace Donation. Okay. Yeah. Good book. What movie have you seen the most in your life? It's a tie between The Wiz mm. and Coming to America. You saw they're making a sequel now. Yeah. Eddie's going to be in it. Yeah. I know. I've been knowing about that for a minute, too. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, I don't, I don't know. Who, who's the new director? Uh, they tag somebody new to it? Yeah. Uh, uh, it's been through a couple. It's, um, it's somebody that's hot right now, and I forget who it is. What's up? I don't want to see anybody ruin that movie, though. No, I, mean, I hope they don't ruin it. This is a great movie. It was. Tell me one decision that changed your life forever. Moving to New York for the second time. So complete this sentence. I don't have talent. I have blank. I don't have talent. I have gifts. If I worked for you, what's something I would hear you say over and over? You know what we should do? <laughs> I like that. That's an idea. <laughs> um, who would you be most excited to learn appreciates your work? Um, to him. I don't know. Sheikh Hamzali or 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 Imam Siraj Wahaj. Like if they heard my work and were pleased by it, that'd be dope. Because you know I don't think my work is intended to necessarily impress pious people. But if it did, I would be impressed. Nice. Um, how's everybody find you other than? On, uh, on <laughs> Hit me up at, at Chase Infinite on, on Instagram.com. And, uh, I mean, I guess at Chase underscore Infinite. I okay. think that's my my moniker, something like that. And at, at Hot Room Coffee. Yeah. For sure. How often are you there? 
Haroon? Yeah. I'm there. Well, I'm away there now. Nice. Somebody's coming to meet me there, like, literally now. Oh, okay. <laughs> I got, like, four people coming to meet me. Nice. It's like, a, you know, I got an office upstairs. People come there and chill out, you Dope. know. People from out of town get a chance to say they came to the hood. Of <laughs> In the hood with Chase isn't it? Of course. <laughs> yeah. That's good. You need that. You do. Validate people. I do the same shit when I go to the hood. Get your, get, your, uh, get your ticket validated. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I love it. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. Thank you, this. man. I appreciate you guys having me. That was Chase Infinite on Rebel Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Uh, if you did, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. Shoot us your little five stars. And you can always hit us with a comment on Twitter or Facebook. It's at Rebel Radio Net. You can check out videos from a lot of our episodes on our YouTube page at Rebel Radio Net. Most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio. <laughs>